0: Welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program is designed just for someone like me because, you know, there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something that's really been, you know, earth-shaking and that requires a chapter and verse discussion. It might be something that's just been occurred to me or been on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a a serious discussion sometimes just a front porch style chat is the best way to handle it, and that's what this program is all about. The pastor today, our guest, our guest pastor, is Kirk Campbell from Zion Lutheran Church in Mascoutah, Illinois. Now I know I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. And you can get your news, uh, get your questions to us by email at news at uh, news at Kf, uh, let's talk at kfuo dot or you can call in if you're in the St. Louis area. That's area code three one four, eight two one zero eight fifty, or anywhere in the lower forty-eight, toll-free at eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven. Pastor, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here with you.
0: Oh yeah, I tell you, how are you? How are you surviving the uh, the? the quarantine and everything although i understand that governor pritzker has just lifted his uh, his banning of church services
1: yeah, that was wonderful news that we received last night, just before the Supreme Court was about to intervene and force the issue. He lifted different restrictions on churches and moved from a, a stance of what you may or may not do to what is perhaps recommended to do, uh, which is a much better position, especially under the... Um, the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. So we're certainly in a much better position in Illinois, but now the churches need to weigh carefully because we realize that there is a difference between what a person may do And what a person perhaps should do and we do still want to make sure that we are watching out for the vulnerable and those who might be uh, sick and in need to make sure that we are going to be reopening in a way that is going to be safe and um, healthy for people while also recognizing that we desperately need to be together in fellowship we need to support one another we need to encourage one another and above all of course we very much need to hear the uh, saving message of our Lord Jesus Christ and receive his gifts in the word and sacraments.
0: And of course one of the problems is that you know the rules that apply into a heavy uh, metropolitan area like Chicago would not necessarily apply to say Waterloo, Illinois.
1: Correct yeah or uh, Muscouta here where I'm at with uh, a population of about 8,000 people and we've had a grand total of I think 15 cases Of COVID-19 since March and so whereas Chicago has thousands and thousands of cases and in a much smaller more confined area um, you know the the rural areas have been not untouched there certainly have been people that we know of who've had loved ones who've died from COVID-19 and so we we don't take this lightly but we do recognize that uh, different local situations uh, have different needs and can have different responses and so So it certainly seems that the best, wisest response to the coronavirus for churches is handled at the local level, certainly not at the national level, not at the state level, where uh, different metropolitan areas and rural areas will be facing very different challenges. But the the wisest course of action is to allow local local leaders to use their God-given wisdom to determine what's best at the local level for each congregation.
0: Well, you know this brings into mind some some questions now one thing that i have had i'm I'm a bit of a news junkie so i I read everything and comes across and one of the one of the things i've been finding consistently in different news sources is that over and above the COVID 19 there has been a rise in unexpected uh, problems for example suicides have suddenly gone up domestic abuse cases have gone up things along this line and you know it's from the it's from being quarantined. It's from being uh, uh, you know, self-isolated. We're social animals. We're not really designed to be cooped up like this. And that's causing problems. Uh, and these are people who really need a spiritual guidance, I think, at this particular stage in, in their life. But with the restrictions, it's hard for them to get in touch with you. It's hard for you to get the word out to people. How do, you, how do people cope with that?
1: Well, you're exactly right. God has created us to be social beings, and so we can look back to the very, very first chapters of the Bible. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. In, uh, we'll start in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 18, we read, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him and so we remember that God caused all of the animals to march before Adam and I think this is not so much for naming but for Adam to recognize that all the animals were coming in pairs there were two of them whereas he was alone and I think God was giving Adam an object lesson here that we are not designed to be alone as as God says in Genesis 2:18. it is not good <laughs> that the man should should be alone, And I think that's the first time in the Bible that the word not has preceded the word good. You think through the creation account, you hear, and God saw all that he's made, and behold, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. And now we get to man being alone, and God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then we find out in verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God caused Adam to fall into the deep sleep and brought Eve to him so it would be good that man and woman could be together and then we move on from that to see how that moves out into the family and in genesis chapter 1 verse 28 god blessed adam and eve and he said to them be fruitful and multiply and so we see marriage and the family as the very core uh essence of society and that is that is what we are created to be we are created to be with each other. We are created to be in society, and it's not good for us to be alone. And so the, the the Church has to take special care to make sure that in this time where people are more separated, that we can bring a human contact, that we can bring a, a special degree of God's love and care to those who are separated. Because when um, when government looks at something, they can sometimes... Uh, fall into tunnel vision and so you see this in news reporting you see this in political actions and so on that you're focused on what you sense is one problem (laughs) and you miss the bigger picture perhaps there is an upswell of of, uh, political will that says we want to accomplish this but in accomplishing this there are unintended consequences of many many other things that that flow out of that and then, um, as you mentioned, you're a news junkie. I have that, uh, that same uh, mental illness, I think, and uh, just reading constantly <laughs> about what's going on in the world. And um, so then the news media jumps on the bandwagon, and uh, for two months, two and a half, three months – We've had a steady drumbeat of death rates and pictures of hospitals overflowing and stories of of doctors needing to choose between patient A and patient B as to which one gets the respirator. And there has been this, this laser-like focus on the health devastation brought about by COVID-19. The unintended consequence yep. of that is that we've lost sight of the fact that we can't live in fear and isolation and that causes its own problems so the church is called to take the broader picture and entrust things into god's hands and to care for one another and to love one another and to support one another in ways that the government simply cannot do and it's not called to do
0: nor should it you know we of course we are part of the left-hand kingdom we know that but you know as it's pointed out uh it starts with Adam and Eve and then works out to, uh, expands to the other tribes and become other things. I mean, look at Cain, for example. What was his punishment? Exile. He's thrown out by himself. What fear he and, must have had.
1: And he's panicked because of this. He says, Lord, this is too much to bear. What, what can I do? Yeah, he cries out to the Lord for, for protection from his isolation
0: which the Lord, which the Lord granted him. But still that, that I think highlights it. As you pointed out, you know, we were not designed, we were not created to be solitary creatures. We weren't even created just to be, I think, just man and wife or or man and wife and family. It's, there's the society beyond that. There's the neighborhood, there's the clan, there's there's the tribe, there's the nation, things that we interact with. And it's kind of funny, I know, you know, little things that i i have missed being cooped up here uh, is uh, for example I, I when I drive into work I, I, there's a street called elm street that has the most beautiful houses and i miss seeing those homes you know driving into work uh i desperately need a haircut <laughs> <Little> <laughs> things like that you know um and i think i'm probably better off than a lot of people are uh i mean i read about this all the time about the real serious rise in actual physical health issues and mental health issues that are brought on by this uh, by isolation.
1: Exactly right. And the church is in the unique place that we can bring God's love and message of hope to people that are now living in conditions that God certainly never intended and are a, a result of the fall through the restrictions now from COVID-19 but uh, churches uh, have membership lists and i am not a huge fan of administration and record keeping but (laughs) it has a purpose and so in the early days of the uh, coronavirus restrictions back in mid-march which seems like about 43 years ago now um, (laughs) <laughs> the first thing that, that I did, I spent a couple of days, uh, long days, combing through uh, the church records, phone numbers, addresses, emails, making sure that we had contact information on all of our members so that we could stay in regular contact. Now, we're very blessed here at Zion. For the last about 10 years or so, uh, I've maintained an email list of all people in the congregation who have active email accounts. And every day for years, I've been sending out a daily scripture passage and prayer. And so we kind of already had that infrastructure, that digital infrastructure in place. But I still spent a couple of days going through the fine-tooth comb and calling for people to submit if family members that they knew of weren't on the list and editing and so on. And then uh, we have been sending out announcements for the congregation on a regular basis as to what's going on. We've we've had some fun. We asked for sub- missions as to, you know, what are your favorite um, books that you've read to share ideas with the congregation, what are your favorite children's books, historical books, uh, books of philosophy, um, books of Christian fiction, and we've passed those along. Uh, I also am sending out extended scripture readings and devotions now each day of the week so that people have the opportunity to have at least some contact from their congregation Uh, and to be able to spend time in God's Word. And then um, early on in that, that first week or so of the... Uh, the restrictions back in March we also went through our database and developed a list of people that we know that didn't have email and we're trying to be in contact with them by letters by telephone Uh, pass that list along to our Board of Elders who have done a phenomenal job of being in regular contact with people in their assigned elder list so that uh, you know people actually hear a human voice they actually can pick up the phone and talk to another fellow human being, and, and I've tried to be more active in making phone calls to some of our older members that don't have Internet access and just making sure that they have a human touch. We, we, we sent out some announcements saying, hey, look in your, your um, Zion photo directory. And look for people that you think might be lonely, maybe they're widowed, maybe uh, they don't have family in the area. Call them. Send them a card. I I don't know how many people have, but I'm trusting, hoping that our people, as we recognize that we are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ and care for one another, have taken this opportunity to write notes and say, uh, you know, dear Mrs. So and so, please know that we're thinking about you, we're praying for you. Here's my phone number, give me a call sometime. Um, so hopefully, uh, through the, the, um, <laughs> the administrative nightmares that we've gone through in maintaining (laughs) databases and maintaining records and and, uh, church files and so on. We've been able to put those to good use, to put the people of God in contact with the people of God so that we can continue to uh, encourage one another and support one another in this time we're in a situation that we we, we are not designed to be in. We're not designed to be alone. We're a social people. And so hopefully the church of all institutions perhaps, and I'm not talking just Zion and Muscuta, but the church – worldwide hopefully is in a better position than most to be able to continue to bring human care and to bring human contact to people in need because uh, that also is the heart of the gospel Jesus didn't you know <laughs> uh, didn't accomplish our salvation in quarantine Jesus came to us Jesus came to be with us the The heart of the gospel is a is a message of presence, the presence of God with us, which then leads us to extend the ministry of presence to be present in whatever way we can, even if it 's just as a telephone call or a phone call or a, a telephone call or a letter or an email with those who are lonely or in need. But we are called to be present with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even as Christ has come to be present with us.
0: Well, I look at uh, some of the hurdles that have to be overcome with that. Now, my congregation is, uh, we're, we're a little bit, uh, we're a very small congregation, let me put it that way. And our membership is uh, relatively old. And uh, so, as a consequence, a lot of them do not have access to the internet. Uh, and our pastor has. Uh, been doing exactly what you said, making phone calls and uh, visiting when he can, you know, depending upon the, the, the situation. But, you know, just down the street, there is another Lutheran congregation that has several hundred members. Boy, I don't even want to think about the problems that that pastor is running into.
1: Right, yeah. Um, the The hope is that as you have uh, larger congregations, perhaps also as as we do here at Zion, we're not an overly large congregation, but uh, we do have very active elders. And whereas maybe I might be able to call on all of our uh, elderly members. On a more sporadic basis, Uh, our elders, as we've gotten together, have given regular reports as to, you know, here are the people in my, you know, alphabetical list. We divide up that, you know, one elder has A through K and one has, you know, M through, you know, whatever the divisions are. And so as the congregation gets larger, um, hopefully that means that there are more people able to step in and help with this joyful task of bringing human care and human interaction to the people in the congregation that might be lonely. And so it's it's wonderful that in a smaller congregation, perhaps a pastor himself could handle all of the calls and visits. Whereas in a little bit larger parish, then hopefully uh, a, a congregation has developed um, care systems where uh, the pastor is then supported by a board of elders or a, a board of of human care or or some organization where people can continue to have uh, uh, personal contact. Uh, in, another thing that's happening here at Zion is there is a, a member of Our Lady's Aid who uh, has taken upon herself a, um, a, a letter-writing ministry, for lack of a better term, and so she contacted me a couple weeks ago and said hey can you pass along some more names of people that maybe i hadn't thought of that i can just write a letter and say hey thinking about you and so hopefully congregations regardless of size and hopefully if there's a larger congregation there are more people that are stepping up to do this to share that opportunity to bring uh, personal care and to bring a human touch to members of the congregation that might be lonely so hopefully in all sizes of congregations uh there are ways that we can uh support and encourage one another as we so desperately need that that human contact
0: well here in the midwest we're relatively fortunate in that we don't have quite the mix of of language issues that other places do i i uh, spent 30 years in southern california and uh my church which was a very large one there, you know, it, it, half the people were, were Hispanic and spoke Spanish as their first language. Um, I have a friend right now who's a pastor in one of the, another Southern California church, and he's saying the same thing. And then that exacerbates the problem in trying to get the, the comfort out there because you have to have the people who are bilingual, who understand that. And, uh, I think we're fortunate here where we really don't run into it that much but boy that is a real problem in certain congregations
1: yeah and i that's something i really hadn't thought about because you know for better or for worse and it may well be for worse in the midwest we do have a bit less uh linguistic diversity here um but uh, you know that's also interesting that this sunday we're we're preparing to celebrate pentecost And we recognize that uh, in the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, the languages were dispersed. And this was a kind of a curse. It was a result of sin. Uh, And yet in Pentecost, the gospel transcends that. And we see that the message of the church, the good news that we have of the love of God shown for us in Jesus Christ, is not just for uh, one language, or for one tribe or for one people group, but that God finds ways He finds amazing ways to uh, transcend those barriers and so what a gift that we have again as the the church the church is a a worldwide organization of every people, every tribe, every language, every group, every nation, and so we do have you know native speakers in every language that there is who can then uh put into practice this uh, love of Christ that they have experienced themselves as Christ has come for them so they can go for others and share that hope in uh, all the languages that they have been gifted in. So, again, the church is in a, uh, a, a beautifully positioned uh, situation where uh, God has brought together, and he always does, God always brings together exactly the people that are needed to accomplish his task in any given time and situation. And so we rejoice that in congregations that do have a broader diversity of languages, we hope and pray and trust that God has raised up faithful servants, pastoral servants and lay servants in those congregations who have that same heart and that same zeal to uh, communicate to others in their own languages uh, the message of hope that we have as we share this this life together. And, and as I say, you know, that, that this is what hap- is happening, what I'm also hoping is that, you know, in the the listeners today, if they haven't uh, stepped up and picked up the phone to call somebody from their congregation they haven't now seen for a couple of months. If maybe they haven't jotted a note, um, you know, as I'm describing what can take place in the church, <laughs> I'm hoping that is exhortation for it actually to take place. And so I guess let me just say this to anyone that is listening to this program. If you can think of somebody that you haven't seen for a couple months that might be living alone, go through your church directory and call them and say hi. If there's someone that uh, you are are thinking about, uh, jot them a note and say, you know, dear Mrs. Schmidt, uh we've really missed seeing you. You brighten our day every time we're together in church. We miss you. We look forward to being together. Please know that we are thinking about you and praying for you. Um so as I'm describing this, <laughs> hopefully the description moves to action in our uh in in the listeners. So to all listeners, if you have not done this yet, Please do. Do it. And, uh, you know, think (laughs) through your congregation. Who might not have had that personal contact? Uh, I'm very blessed. Uh, My wife and I have uh, six children that live at home. And so we are a community of eight in the house sharing meals together, doing activities together. And we really haven't been terribly lonely. We are tremendously blessed in that, and there are many, congreg- many people in our congregations that don't have that blessing. Perhaps they're elderly, their children don't live close, maybe they're widowed. And uh, so I encourage all listeners, think through your own congregation. Do you have a special relationship with someone in your congregation where you can reach out and encourage them? And when you recognize that connection, don't just think about it, do it. Actually pick up the phone, actually pick up a pen, write a note, make a call, and get in contact and let, let members in your congregation know that they're not alone, that you are with them, even as our Lord is with them, and he is uh, working through us to bring that gift of, of socialization and that gift of, of a human touch. So please. Well, speaking of going please. out
0: and doing it, speaking of going out and doing it, it is time for us to go out and do a break. So we'll be right back because I want to talk some more about this. i got some thoughts, and I want, hope you can clarify.
1: Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. On this Friday, May 29th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Stephen and Susan Tice of Frona, Missouri.
0: Stephen and Susan made a gift to KFUO Radio in thanksgiving to the Lord as they celebrate their
1: 43rd wedding anniversary today
0: and in thanksgiving for their grandchildren,
1: Gerhard, Hayden, Heinrich, Rachel, Ellie, Caleb, Hannah, and Vera. Thank you, Stephen and Susan Tice, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. The coronavirus has come with controversy and quarrels. Few agree on what should or should not have been done. Dr. Matthew Harrison compares this confusing babble to the Bible's Tower of Babel, and he tells how Jesus brings the word of peace to those who have grown weary of words. This week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230
0: and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that
1: everything is A-OK. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun and the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Oh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. I don't like it. Oh, yeah. The Bible of the Bear? Really? Published in 1569 by Cassiodora de Reyna, this Spanish version of the Bible had an illustration on the title page of the Bible showing a bear trying to reach some honey. Because of typos and printing errors, it was widely criticized and quickly revised in 1602 by Cipriano de Valera and has been revised many times, as recently as 2011. The Reina Valera Bible is as central to the perception of the Bible by Protestants in Spanish as the Geneva Bible and the King James Bible version in English. Casiodora de Reina was a Lutheran theologian, and his translation was the first complete Bible to be printed in Spanish, and interestingly, first published in Basel, Switzerland. The Reina Valera Bible today has become the common Bible of millions of Spanish-speaking Protestants around the world, making the Bible accessible to everyone. Engage with this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
0: Welcome back to Let's Talk the Pastors In, and today's guest pastor is Pastor Kirk Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois. Boy, that break really uh, highlighted what we were talking about earlier about the languages and getting the message out, bringing in that sense of community. Uh, I was uh, speaking not too long ago with a uh, pastor who was involved in, in the Asian area. And a weird thing has happened in China that actually works in our case. Maybe this is how God works sometimes. Uh, the Bible cannot be sold in China. Uh, you can't go into a bookstore and buy it. But what you can buy is Luther's small catechism.
1: Boy, isn't it strange how how God works things out that uh, we would never expect, but that, uh, and what is a small catechism except for an exposition of scripture? We have a passage of scripture and Luther says, what does this mean? And he explains what it means. (laughs) And so what a gift to be able to use this teaching tool in areas, even where the full Bible is not accessible, huh?
0: Absolutely. And you know, that's, Part of what we do is, is we have to have this, this sense of community. We have to have outreach. And uh, this particular pandemic that we're running to now, I think, really, really highlights it. Uh, you know that the infrastructure in most communities is really based through the houses of worship. You know, FEMA, the uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency, has said that when uh, they deliver relief supplies to a community, 80% of them somehow go through churches because they're the ones who know where the people are they're the ones we're the ones who knows who really needs it we know who needs what we have the facilities where the things could be stored we have the people who will go out and do the work and that is so important it's again it's part of this community of who and what we are and this isolation is uh, it's rough on us but there's opportunity there as well I guess
1: Exactly. And this uh, pandemic, perhaps, can be a reminder and a refocusing for the Church to once again be the, the, the body of Christ that we're called to be, that we... Uh, we have the precious message of the gospel, we have the word, we have the sacraments, and so as we gather together in worship on Sunday, we receive these precious gifts. But much of what the the Church has been struggling over recently is the ability to gather for corporate worship. But the Church doesn't cease to be the Church on Monday through Saturday, on Sunday, we gather to hear the Word and to receive the sacrament, and all the rest of the time, we should be seeing the fruits of this in our lives. That, as I mentioned earlier, a, a portion of the Gospel is that Jesus comes to be with us. We see this in worship too. In the Word, Jesus is the word of God. He comes to be with us that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. As we read his word, we recognize the spirit is living and active in that word. As we receive the Lord's Supper, we receive the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. We receive the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in our midst. And so the gospel is... (laughs) Fleshly, The gospel is incarnational. The gospel is with people. And so it doesn't make any sense for us as Lutherans to gather on Sunday morning in whatever format we can right now and recognize that this is an incarnational message <laughs> and then go out and live an isolationist <laughs> life. If God has come to share our existence with us, are we not then as Christians called to share our existence with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And so, as you mentioned, in times of disaster, so much of the relief is funneled through congregations because congregations do live in the communities where they are planted. And they know the neighborhoods, they know the people, or at least we should and if we don't then perhaps we need to look seriously at how the gospel is being lived out in our congregational life if we only come to the the church on Sunday morning and that's the only thing the church is is just an hour a week <laughs> we have it wrong <laughs> And we need to rethink so that we do have this ability in a time of need or a time of disaster to help those in need or in a time of pandemic in isolation to know who's going to need a phone call, who's going to need a greeting card, who can we be in contact with to help and support. And I, you mentioned disaster relief. I'm, I'm thinking about the um, Lutheran early response teams that have done such a wonderful job in the wake oh, yeah, of the flooding alerts, or wonderful. tornadoes, disasters and so on that um, <laughs> uh, just before the uh, the all the pandemic hit, there was a tornado that went through near Nashville, Tennessee, which is not that terribly far from here, about five hours, six hours away. And so uh, Lutheran early response teams from the area uh, headed over uh, that weekend after the tornado hit. And one of our members came back and said um, he had to drive for over an hour to find a spot that didn't already have a crew working on it. And every crew that he found working was a church crew. Uh, It was not (laughs) necessarily all Lutheran early response teams but he had to drive for an hour through the disaster area to find a place where another church was not already working. So isn't that a blessing that the church is so well positioned in times of need to step in and to live the message of the gospel that we have as Jesus has lived it among us?
0: And, you know, I think we have a little bit more power or influence, I think is a better phrase, than we're generally credited with. I'm looking at the places where the governors have issued these draconian, and frankly, a lot of them are, uh, are discriminatory closures against isolating, uh, specifically going after houses of worship, but letting everything from abortion clinics to bars open. And a lot of the churches, a lot of the church leaders have simply said, look, we're not going to put up with this. And they've actually managed to get Sometimes through uh, uh, through attorneys and sometimes just by showing up, they've been able to get a lot of these governors to back down. Just happened in Illinois,
1: right? It was interesting in Illinois. Uh, the I believe the case that wound up uh, almost at the Supreme Court before Governor Pritzker. Um, revised his orders last night, uh, was actually based out of two uh, ethnic Romanian churches in the Chicago area. And this was a fascinating letter to read when these Romanian churches uh, announced their civil disobedience. And they they did this quite publicly. They said, we are going to meet. Um, and they said, we are churches that pastors and people in some cases Led fled Romania under communism because the churches were not allowed to meet and because the communist rulers were forcing the closure of churches. We left Romania because of that. And now we're seeing exactly the same thing in the United States, and it happened to be in Illinois, and they said, we didn't put up with it under communist Romania, we're not gonna put up with it here in the United States. We are going to be open for worship and proclaiming the gospel, here we are. <laughs> so they, they would not back down.
0: Well, there was, a am trying to think, was it, was it Minnesota where the, uh, where, uh, the two uh, Lutheran districts and the Catholics joined together and told the governor, we're gonna meet regardless? correct and the governor backed down
1: yep yep
0: and that, that's a beautiful thing we, we have this we have it, it's not so much that we have the power is that we're letting our government and a lot of people even the secular people know that there is a line beyond which they cannot go this is how important this is to the faith community and if you don't understand it well there's going to be a
1: problem And I think something else that's going on here, too, is that as people of the gospel, people who recognize that Jesus has defeated death and brought life, uh, we don't cower in fear. We don't fear fear. political consequences or earthly consequences of civil disobedience our forefathers in the faith were jailed regularly for civil disobedience so who are we to be any different this is this is who we are Uh, we are going to stand for what god says not what any earthly ruler says and that's where our allegiance lies so you know if uh if St. Paul and St. Peter and others were imprisoned for their stance on the gospel, and we then are called to civil disobedience. Well, you know what? (laughs) We have pretty good company in our jail cell, as the communion of saints extends throughout time and space. And, uh, you know, we can... uh, sit handcuffed proverbially next to peter and paul those are some cellmates that i would be be pretty happy to share company with and so we don't fear the civil ramifications of obeying god rather than men but more than that we don't fear even sickness and death itself and so the coronavirus um you know so much of the 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 atmosphere of restrictiveness is rooted in fear, fear of sickness, fear of death. Now, we certainly care for our neighbor and we protect the vulnerable, but we don't fear death. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has risen, and in him we will rise. And so from, from uh, civil, uh, civil consequences to medical consequences, what do we have to fear? Christians are not called to be people of fear, but people who walk boldly and confidently in the gospel that God has given us.
0: Well, also, you know, we look at the, uh, the fourth commandment of the left-hand kingdom, you know, which, which will indeed call for adherence and respect for our civil authorities. But that ends when the civil authorities' rule is contradictory to God's law. That's where we have to draw the line. And that is something that I think we're seeing happening right now.
1: And, of course, this is rooted in uh, Peter and John being brought before the Sanhedrin for preaching in the name of Jesus, uh, the, the Holy Spirit had already sprung out of prison once. They'd already been arrested for preaching the gospel, and the, uh, the Holy Spirit brings them out of prison. What do they do? They immediately go right back to the temple and begin preaching in Jesus' name again. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin, and they said, We told you, don't preach in this man's name. And Peter says, point blank. We must obey God rather than man. And that reminds me of um, after my, I believe, sophomore year of college, I had the privilege of uh, serving on a short-term mission trip to Latvia, Lithuania, and Russia. This was, I'm I'm showing my age here, this was just after the Berlin Wall had fallen, just after the Soviet bloc had crumbled. This was in the, the very early 1990s. And so churches were just kind of starting to be, get back on their feet after the seventy years of oppression by the state and I will never ever forget we worshipped in a congregation a Lutheran congregation in Latvia, and the pastor was an elderly uh, white haired uh, gentleman who walked with a limp and um Early in the days of the Soviet Union, he had been preaching in his Lutheran parish, and he'd been arrested and sent to Siberia. And then he was released and said, we're going to release you. Now, You go back to your home, but don't preach the gospel. And he went back to his parish and immediately resumed word and sacrament ministry proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. So they came back and got him again. And sent him to Siberia a second time, where, due to the freezing conditions, his circulation in his lower extremities was uh, was damaged, and that's where he developed his limp. But he was sent to Siberia twice because he refused to stop preaching the gospel. He says, "We must obey God rather than man." And these are the heroes of faith who surround us. And when when we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, <laughs> we dare not do any other, right?
0: hmm And you know, when, when we think that we're oppressed in the U.S., well, you know, we have problems and we have uh, disagreements. But when I look at what's happened in the rest of the world, oh boy, we are so fortunate.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so we. We're in a position, then, that on the one hand, we, we dare not take our freedoms for granted and trust, just trust oh, that as not. they uh, always have been, so they always shall be. We always need to be vigilant to make sure that we continue to preach the gospel regardless of the circumstances. But also, what a great uh, gift we have of being in a position that then we hopefully can help those who are in other places around the world who are in need perhaps by, by our, uh, our gifts or by our, our service and certainly by our prayers, remembering those who are in far more difficult situations than what we are.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely on that. And it's, it's, it's part of our duty. Uh, it's part of the Grand Commission.
1: You know, I wonder, <laughs> um, who is more diligent in prayer for whom? Uh, are our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world more diligent in their prayer life for us or <laughs> we for them? And I, I fear uh, an that our brothers point. and sisters in persecution may be more faithful in their prayer for us than we are. And again, what a wake-up call. Well, the
0: risks they take are greater than the risks we take.
1: Right. And yet, um, how often we fail in our prayers to remember those who are in much more difficult situations around the world. And so again, uh, let this be a a call to prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ that they are praying for us. (laughs) We we need to be before the throne of God for them, too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the I, I found one, one thing I find a bit ironic uh, in some of the early Lutheran, some of the early LCMS uh, uh, doctrine, for that matter. Uh, you know, Luther, of course, came up with the, came up with the idea that the, the Bible should be available to anyone in their language, the vernacular. Uh, and yet, over here in the U.S., after, when the LCMS was founded, there was a big dispute about having the, th- having the uh, Lutheran documents translated into English.
1: <laughs> with the the fear that if something is translated you you lose some of the original uh context and some of the original culture but um Eventually, the, the Lutheran foundational documents were translated into English as the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod then became more of an English-speaking congregation, um, and now I think the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and partner organizations have taken the lead in translating not just the scriptures through, for example, Lutheran Bible translators, but uh, translating also... Um, really foundational uh, doctrinal materials, such as you mentioned Luther's small catechism, into all the languages of the world. And as you pointed out, the small catechism now can go places where the the full scripture cannot, and yet what is the catechism except an exposition of scripture? And so it is so important to have the scripture and to have uh, good, solid doctrinal resources in all the different languages. So, what a blessing we have that we're involved in that translational effort through our church body and associated organizations as well.
0: Yeah, there's one RSO that works specifically on translating documents and everything from hymnals to uh, prayers into a variety of different languages. Uh, I think it's over 70 right now that they that they have uh, gotten into, and some some languages I never even heard of. <laughs>
1: and some languages that weren't invented yet until, um, in terms of written form, until the the translator Like said, English? It, like, yeah.
0: yeah. Like English?
1: Like English that hasn't been spoken in America for years, as they say in uh, in My Fair Lady, right? Uh, but yeah. something that's but not you, always— The English
0: languages is Johnny-come—the English language is a Johnny-come-lately on the world scene. Right, uh, yeah. You know, the original— you know, the original documents were hebrew they were greek they were latin you know english didn't even come into existence really until oh boy I'm going back to my early english courses uh, early english was uh, probably in the 400 and the 400s of 500s and there was middle english after the norman invasion and finally modern english after uh, after uh, the reign of elizabeth but the thing is, is that English is almost English is an intriguing language. I mean, we're an amalgam of different uh, different languages, but we did not exist as a language when the scriptures were originally written.
1: So we are the recipients of the blessings of the the hard work of translation. And so now as as ones who've received the blessing, we can then pass that blessing along and be diligent to make sure that the treasures that we've received can be shared by others as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. And this is something especially important to remember as we're going into Pentecost.
1: Right, where we, as we mentioned before, we see that the gospel does transcend all nations and languages. Many churches will read from Acts chapter 2 on Sunday, and um, Zion is in the the blessed position. We're close enough to the seminary in St. Louis that we receive fieldwork students. And so it's always interesting if a fieldwork student is assigned to read Acts 2 on uh, Pentecost Sunday where you have this reading of the Medes and the, P- uh, and the Elamites and the Persians and the Mesopotamians and people from Cappadocia and Pamphylia and Phrygia uh, and it's, it's um, uh, I, I tend to warn field workers in advance that you're going to want to read this out loud a few times, this is not going to roll off your tongue really easily but it's a reminder <laughs> that the Gospel is for all people of all times and all places, all languages and what a beautiful image it is that uh, Christ Christ is for all. And so at Pentecost, we see this reversal of the Babel of, uh, the tower of Babel in Genesis to, uh, all peoples receiving the gospel in their own languages.
0: Well, the, the, the confounding of the languages originally, was regarded as a punishment, but I think perhaps maybe this was not the case. Uh, Certainly, there was a punishment for the uh, for the arrogance, but it also created a way how the true message of God could be translated throughout the entire world. Uh, And yeah, sure, there was supposedly just one language and one one group, Uh, but you know, it's a big, 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 big world, and. the idea being that these people could spread everywhere and speak with their own languages, and then we came up with uh, oh, everything from uh, as you know the the the, the ascension, the, uh, the the Holy Spirit coming down upon the disciples, and I, was there wasn't there the vision of Saint Peter uh, that he had with all the uh, the 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 unclean and the clean.
1: Being let down yeah, in and a she's... sheet by four corners, and and with the message that what God has declared to be clean, uh, let not anyone else declare it to be unclean, right? And you know, to, to bring this yeah. to bring this full circle, if we're now talking about languages and communication. I, I'm I'm thinking that in this time of pandemic and isolation, uh, a, a nearly universal uh, language is a way to say. I love you with the love of Christ by reaching out in whatever language we have, whatever means we have to engage in human contact with someone around us. And uh, regardless of what that means of communication, whatever that language is, whether it's telephone, whether it's email, whether it's phone call, whether it is a letter, whether it's knocking on the door and, and sharing a, a batch of cookies, you know, whatever it is, be careful about that these days. But whatever the means is of communication, let the message be very clear that as brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of the isolation we may be in, that we love each other and we care for each other. So no matter what the language or the method is, let that message keep coming through that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not alone, and we're not going to let our elderly or our lonely or those who are isolated, those who don't have family close, we're not going to let them be alone either. We're going to reach out and communicate with them in whatever means the Holy Spirit has given, whether that is in English or Spanish or any other uh, language group that we uh, are in contact with, whether it's by phone, by email. Uh, by letter or in person the message of i love you as jesus has loved me and we share this this fellowship together let that message of i love you come across in whatever language or whatever means we can
0: pastor we're up to the th- last 30 seconds of the program could you give us an ending prayer that would summarize what we've been discussing
1: absolutely let us pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen Gracious God, you have called your people together to be one in you. We ask that as we are even now somewhat separated by different restrictions, you would find ways for us truly to be one, one people, brothers and sisters in Christ, united in the love that we share in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to us. So may we go to each other in ways that we can to share this hope and this love through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Pastor Clayton, thank you so much for joining the program.
1: Thanks for the opportunity.
0: You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor is In on Worldwide KFUO.